So this morning, um, I would like to uh, just continue sharing in our series on the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles here with you, you can take out um, your, your Bibles, you can take out your notepads, um, take out whatever you use to record these messages. Um, we do upload them all onto soundcloud.com. Uh, so you go search Anchor Joburg on SoundCloud, you'll find everything there. But God has really just been speaking to us so powerfully as He always does through His Word and through His Scripture. And, and we know that all of us are on a journey. We believe as a church that we're all on a journey. And we know that many of you may be in different places on that journey. But we also believe that God meets us where we're at. That that's one of the things that Jesus does is that he doesn't wait for us to get to a certain place or a certain point before he begins to walk with us. He meets us right where we're at. And just like Jesus met the guys that were walking on the road to Emmaus, he began to share with them from the scriptures and he began to show them who he was through the scriptures. And they didn't recognize that it was Jesus yet. But later on when he was revealed to them and they realized it was Jesus and all of a sudden in that moment he disappeared, they said something which is so incredible. They said, surely we should have known that this was Jesus because did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us from the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? There's something that warms on the inside of your spirit when you begin to encounter the living word of God, when you begin to encounter Jesus through his word. And that's what we believe about the word. That's what we believe about the Bible is that it is not a, an end in itself, but it's something that reveals Jesus to us. Jesus said to the disciples, you search, or to the, to the Pharisees rather, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these these scriptures are testifying about me. If you come to me, you will have life. And so it reveals Jesus to us. The book of John, the first chapter tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and was with God and the word became flesh. In other words, it uses the word for word, that, that logos word synonymously with the son of God because it's the truth of God. Every word that proceeds from God's mouth is true. Every word is living. Every word is, is ruach, it's spirit, it's life to all of us, just like Jesus was the exact representation of the Godhead and the truth of God and the fullness of God. So when we encounter the word, what I'm saying is we encounter Jesus. We're here this morning not to get religious. We're here this morning not to get some principles for better living. We're here this morning not to get some life hacks that you can write down and try and apply in your own strength. But we are here to meet with a living person called Jesus and become more intimately acquainted with the wondrous characteristics of his nature. We wanna know Jesus and we wanna reveal Jesus to you in as much as we can. That's what our church is always going to be about. We are going to fail at many things, but there's one thing that we, are not deter that we are determined to not fail at, and that is to just simply show you who Jesus is. Because we believe that when you encounter him, that your life changes completely. We believe that when God's love and grace grips your heart, it does something in this, on the inside of you that you never thought possible, and it changes us from the inside out. So the Bible really exists to tell us about Jesus. It really exists to, to reveal him to us and to our hearts. And, and, and we understand that regardless of how good or how bad we have been, it's because of what Jesus has done that we are made right with the Father, that we get to walk with God, that we get to have this fellowship with him. And, um, and so while we're making our nice, neat little religious sums or writing books at, uh, you know, trying harder to be better, you know, it's like God is standing in Scripture crying out to us. If you read the Bible, if you really read the Bible, you, you can hear the cry of God's heart. You can hear how He is calling you to something more than just a to-do list or a program or a set of things to do. 
And, and many people get mad at my preaching because I don't give you enough steps, because people love steps. Give me five steps for this and three steps for that and 10 steps for this. Like, I don't, I've heard so many of those, and, and, and those are often very good, but there's something deeper and something greater that God is calling out to us for, and it's for a recognition and a trust, a deep core level, identity level trust in what he has done for us on the cross. That's what God wants us to recognize and to realize. And so while we're making our religious sons, it's like God is standing over there saying, forget all that. Just come to me. Come to me. By your faith, by your trust, come to me. And this is what Jesus invites us to in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are burnt out on religion, and I will give you rest. He says, walk with me. I'll teach you the rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you because my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the God that we serve and this is the invitation of Jesus. And ultimately what it comes down to, which is what I wanna to talk to you about today, is a new way to live. This is a new way to live. And this is what the book of Romans is so powerfully declaring to us is that there is a new way that we get to relate to God. There is a new way that is apart from religious observance, that is apart from um, watching and, and doing and trying our best to be better and to observe the law in all of its forms. There, there, is, there is a new way for us to know Him and be lost in Him and be found in Him and be, and, and be led by Him and to walk by the Spirit. And it all comes through the finished work of the cross. It all comes through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so... We've been journeying through um, the book of Romans together, and Romans, for those of you that are visiting with us today, is this incredible letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Rome, and it's considered the greatest exposition on what the message of the Bible really is, the, the, the story, the gospel, the good news. The Bible is good news. It's, it's not actually good advice. It's good news. It's declaring something that has already been done rather than just stuff that we're supposed to do. It's the cry of God's heart that we see. And so we've been journeying through the book of Romans. And today we come to Romans 8, which is um, really the centerpiece of the book of Romans. And the centerpiece probably of all of Scripture. And Romans 8 verse 1 is probably the essence of Christianity in itself. And so you've picked a good day to come to church today. Because you are going to get the core message of what the Bible is really all about. And which is expressed from beginning to end. The, the scarlet cord, the thread that runs uh, through all of Scripture and bringing us to faith in Christ is found here in, in Romans 8. But before that, what Paul essentially does is he starts off the book of Romans by saying, God is the creator, God is sovereign, and all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of his glory. All of us have messed up. All of us have, have, have done things. We've all missed the mark in being the people that God created us to be because we were slaves to sin. And so the first thing that Paul starts off by showing us that God is a righteous God and all of us are depraved sinners. We've all missed the mark and we're all in desperate need of a savior. And then he begins to show how God, because of his great love, because of the greatness of his kindness, because of his heart for all of us, sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross so that we could be, by one man's uh, faithfulness and obedience, many have been made righteous. And then we went into Romans 6 and 7, the last two weeks that we were together on this subject, and in Romans 6, he says, so what about sin then? What are we saying about sin? If God has dealt with all of our sin once and for all, does that mean that we can just live in sin? And he says, no. How shall we who have died to sin live in it any longer? 
So what he says in Romans 6 is that even though you may still be tempted to sin and you may still be tempted to allow sin to reign in your body, he says you have the power now to walk away from sin. We spoke about freedom last week and we said that freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want. It's when you can do the things that you don't want or when you don't have to do the things that you wanna do. When you have the ability to walk away from the things that your flesh wants to do, that's true freedom. And so Romans 6 then talks about sin and says, says you're free because grace reigns over sin. You are not under the dominion of sin any longer. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so many people knock grace and say that grace is just an excuse for people to sin. No, it is the only way that people like us sold into slavery to sin from birth get to live free from sin is because the grace of God has changed our lives. That's what it is. And then he goes into Romans 7. He goes, okay, well then what about the law? And he says this. He says, just like if a woman is married to her husband, she is released from the law if her husband dies in the same way we have died to the law and have been released so that we can be united to another and that person is Jesus. In other words, we no longer serve God through the letter of the law. We have been released from that because all it did was stir up rebellion within us. It actually made us worse. The law makes us worse, but God's grace gives us freedom to follow Christ in a new way. And so this is what we've covered in Romans 6 and 7, and today we get to Romans 8, and there is a massive therefore. I mean, I would, I would, I would throw a party around this therefore. I don't know if you've seen Sydney on New Year's Day when, when the, the fireworks are going up, and there's the bridge, and there's like thousands. I haven't been there, but it looks amazing. I saw it on YouTube. And, and, and you know, there's, just, there's all these celebrations. I would put a therefore across the Sydney Bridge and just... So that's how my mind kind of works. But I would just have fireworks and, and things going, people celebrating and people partying around this therefore um, in Romans 8 verse 1. So we're going to go to Romans 8 today, and it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, um, just it, how incredible it, incredibly it reveals the, the essence of Christianity, the whole message of the Bible in one verse. And Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now fireworks, Sydney Bridge, New Year's. There is therefore now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. Come on, let's say that again. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever felt condemned? You can just leave that scripture up there. I'll get, I'll get back there in a moment. But have you ever felt condemned? You made a mistake or you've condemned yourself or you felt bad about something that you did or you felt like people judged you. Or, and sometimes we feel condemned for the silliest things. Have you ever felt, I don't know why this is, but falling down in public is just the, one of the most self-condemning things. You're like, who am I and what is the meaning of my life because I just fell down, right? And it's even worse when there are witnesses. I mean, it's bad enough you just get out of the shower and like slip and fall on the floor. You feel like a complete idiot even though no one is around. But have you ever fallen in public? I've got to tell you a story about what happened to me one time where I fell down in public. I was preaching at this massive youth service, and there were like probably a thousand kids in the room already. And I had this crazy idea 
to build a wall on stage because it was going to be a three-second illustration at the end of my service or at the end of my message. I literally ruined four of the kids in my youth's car's suspension getting the bricks all over there and then wasted so much time building these, this wall on stage. It was amazing. And um, so I built this wall and now I'm in a rush and the room is filling up and the service is about to start and I just got done building a wall. And uh, so now I want to get off stage real quick. And as I go down the stairs, quite high stairs, quite high stairs, and they're super slippery, and I was wearing smart shoes, uh, you know, back when square toe was in, so I had the whole square toe thing going. Um, I don't know if that helps your grip much. It didn't help me that day, and, um, and I, come, I come running down the stairs, and they're steel, and I step on the one step, and I, come, I, I slip, and, but I don't just slip and fall. My legs go into the stairs. They become one with the stairs. The stairs and I had a thing going on, and, and so, and so I'm, I'm one with the stairs, and so there's nothing keeping me from going face first onto this concrete floor, and uh, I hit the ground so hard that I made a weird sound. Have you ever, ever happened? You know, when you go, ah, you know, it's just like, don't really even know what that is, but I hit the ground so hard that literally my watch just disintegrated off of my wrist. I was like, just hit the ground. My watch jumped off. You know, across the road, there was a, 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 there's a little office park. The windows shattered and, and, and you know, vibrated there on, in the office park. And in the Amazon, a little butterfly flew off its perch. That's how hard I hit the ground that day, right? And, um, and then there was this group of people, um, leaders from this church, supposed Christians, right? <laughs> that are trying their best to not laugh at me and feigning, feigning care and genuine concern. You know, when people come over to you and they go, are you okay? You know, and it's like, you can just laugh, okay? Just laugh and get it over with. I felt really, really badly. And, and so you, you can feel condemned in moments like that because you reach the end of yourself. You reach your own frailty as much as we like to pretend like we've got stuff together and we know how to live this life and, we, and we're solid and we're good and we, we can serve God and we can walk out. We oftentimes, more often than what we genuinely care to admit, walk right into the end of ourselves. When we hit the ground, we realize how human we are and we feel condemned. Any of you ever feel condemned by, by a teacher in school? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you this morning as a part of my own counseling just to, uh, I still struggle with this 22 years later, but in grade three, I had a teacher that just, I don't know, just didn't like me. And I, and I tend to be kind of a polarizing person in general, so people either love me or hate me, but, but I was, this was one of the bad years where I had the opposite end of the spectrum. And, and so the one day this teacher said to me, um, she said, and, and I always wanted to do stuff for teachers, and I always wanted to, you know, uh, you know, whatever, just help out. And so, and so she said, who can go and get something from my car? And so my hand was up first. I was like, I'll do it. I, I, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be true. I'm going to get this stuff from your car. And so she gave me her keys and I walked up to her car, up the stairs, uh, got to the parking lot, took these books out that she wanted, closed the boot, locked it, and uh, was walking down the stairs again. But you know, the problem in primary school and the problem in summer in primary school is that you basically have I don't know if it's changed now, but back then, your little gray pants were basically like hot pants, right? Uh, there's no space for stuff in those pockets, unless it's like a 20 rand note or whatever. Um, and so with these little pants, I'm carrying books, and I come down the stairs, and the keys fall out of my pocket on the way down on the stairs. And so I, get, I give the books to her, and, and she's like, well, where's my keys? And I realize that they're no longer in these tiny pockets. And so I run back to the stairs. I find them on the stairs. I take them to her, and she says, you know what, Adrian? 
you are so irresponsible, she says to me. I'm like nine years old. I was crushed. You are so irresponsible. I'm never gonna ask you to do anything again. And for me, it was probably the worst thing that you could say to me. To this day, when people tell me I can't do stuff, I'm like, I will show you. I will show you. I can keep keys in my pocket. I will show you. Because I hated the fact that I disappointed, that I failed. I felt condemned. And later on in that year, it was like months later, she said, who can bring a Christmas tree from, from home so that we can keep it in the class? I put my hand up. I can bring a Christmas tree. And she, she said, no, Adrian, you're irresponsible. You can't bring a Christmas tree. And that's harsh. It's harsh. And it feels, it makes us feel condemned. It turns us into rebels. Now what, what the law does is the law says, you've you got to try and do this. You've got to try and be perfect. You've got to try and be right. But when we fail, what it does is it condemns us. There is condemnation outside of Christ because we do fail. There is judgment outside of Christ because we have sinned. But it actually doesn't help us to become better when people tell us how bad we are because we already know that. If, if you're still unsure, just try very hard to be good and you'll find out how bad you actually are. But in my life, I got to the place where I realized I am not a good person. I cannot do this in my own strength. I cannot fulfill God's call on my life by trying harder to be better. It is simply a path to condemnation. And condemnation kills my confidence with God. It kills my walk with God. It destroys my ability to worship Him freely. Have you ever tried to worship but all you can think about is how you failed this week? Right? It will destroy your confidence before God. And so what Paul realizes and what the message of the gospel is and what the story of the whole Bible is, the essence of Christianity is to let you know that regardless of how you may have failed, regardless of how many keys may have dropped out of your pocket, regardless of what people may have declared over your life, that there is now therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the gift of no condemnation. It's the gift of God's acceptance and grace. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We've got the spirit, we've got life on the inside of us. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. You see, sin was condemned so that we don't have to be condemned in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled or might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's a new way to live this. It's a new platform with God. It's uni union and unity with Christ. It's Him abiding in us and us abiding in Him and nothing standing between us and God any longer. That means we get to do stuff that we could never have done in the flesh. We're no longer bound to the law of sin and death. We're bound to Christ in every way. His life is our life. His strength is our strength. His ability is our ability. He equips us. He moves us. He, he changes us. He causes us to become what we could never have been. It's a brand new way to live. We're able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey and walk after all that God has for us. So I wanna, I wanna get into this a little bit today in the time that we have left and, and just show you how, how um, the gift of no condemnation will change everything about how you walk 
with God um, in this new way to live. So let's, let's just go ahead and, and pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much just that you have truly released us. You have truly forgiven us. You have truly redeemed us. You have truly done miraculous things. Uh, things in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God. And thank you, God, that because of what you did for us on the cross, that you became sin for us, that by our faith in you, we can become, we can actually be today by a matter of birth, by a matter of faith, we can be the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, that we get this new way to live. Thank you that your spirit impresses on every heart, convinces every mind, every soul, every part of our beings that we are no longer condemned, but we walk in the righteousness that has been imputed to us, and we can live a new kind of life. We thank you for it today, God. We just thank you for the voice of your spirit. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a lot of people see Christianity the same way that they see other religions, and that is that it's a system or a set of principles that helps us to be better, and once we've done that, once we observe the principles, the gift of no condemnation or the salvation or the redemption is at the end of the line, so that you have got to live right and then be saved. But what makes Christianity completely different from every other religion is that rather than us as people trying to get to God and trying to become good enough for God, God has come to us. And the first thing that we receive, the first thing that we receive is salvation and grace and redemption and restoration and all things pertaining to life and godliness is already ours in Christ. You see, the rest of the world works before it can rest. But what Christianity invites us to do is to rest in the finished work of Christ so that we can truly from that platform begin to work. Think about the fact that when God created the world, he created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, but he created man on the sixth day, which means that the first day of man's life was the day of rest. He works, we rest. And Hebrews 4 tells us this. It tells us that as God rested from his works, now we who have put our faith in Christ rest or cease from our works as God did from his. You see, God wants you to find faith in the finished work of the cross before he asks you to do anything else. He wants you to know the gift that is yours because it's the only way that you will be empowered to run the race that God has set out before you. And this is what makes Christianity and what makes our faith and what makes the gospel different from anything else that you have ever heard or ever will hear. It's based on grace. That is the essence of it. John Piper um, says this. He says, now Paul sums up the message of Christianity in the great conclusion of Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the essence of Christianity. That's the central foundational message of God to the world. That is what we announce. That is what we plead. That is what we lay down our lives to communicate to the nations and the neighborhoods. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the foundational truth of all of our faith. It's the centerpiece of Scripture. We see it in so many different uh, forms and so many different expressions and so many different stories. We see it right throughout the Old Testament. We see it in, in, in so many pictures that God is again and again and again and again revealing to us what it is that we believe and that he will 
base our salvation upon. And I wish I had the time to run you through all of those. I think we will do a series in the future called Pictures of Jesus. It's something that um, I've developed a little bit in the past before, and, and that just shows you how you can truly see Jesus in the Old Testament and in every book, every single line, every single verse in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about what Jesus would do. But I want to just look at a couple of examples today that reveal how Romans 8 verse 1, the fact that there is no condemnation, is actually something that Jesus goes to length, and Scripture goes to length, and the epistles go to length, to show us is the core of our, our faith and our, and our Christianity. And the, the first thing that I want to look at is the story of the prodigal son. We see it in the story of the prodigal son, the son that belongs to the father and asks for his inheritance and, and then goes off and squanders his wealth. He squanders it, and we find out from the older brother later on in that chapter in, in the book of Luke that he says that his son went and spent that money on prostitutes and reckless living. He didn't go out and just buy himself a nice house and a nice car, and it was a little bit, you know, he didn't do his budget well enough. He wasted his money on reckless living. He is guilty as guilty can be, and he ends up ruining his own life, and a famine hits the land, and he sits there with nothing left, where he is literally feeding pigs and longing to eat the food that the pigs eat, the lowest point in his own life. And all of a sudden, it says he came to himself. He remembered the goodness of his father, and he said, even the servants in my father's house eat better than what these pigs are eating, and so I will go back, and I'm not worthy of being called a son anymore, because I have lived in a way that is not in accordance with with my father's will. But I'll go back and I'll ask him if I could just be a servant again because at least then I could eat some bread. And so he journeys back and it's a long way and he begins to walk and as he walks, I can imagine him practicing this speech to himself again and again and again about, about, about how he will apologize and how he will make up for and how he will promise certain things to his dad. If I can do this, then can you forgive me? If, if I work for you, will you give me some bread? If I, if I, if I, if I say I'm sorry and, and, I, and I prove it over the rest of my life, will you accept me back even if as just one of your servants? And he runs through all of this. And the scripture is such a beautiful picture, says that, that, that when, God's, uh, when, when, when the father saw the, the, the son from a long way off, the, the father was there looking out for him, that he ran to him, that he ran to him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the Greek word for kiss there is kissed repeatedly. He didn't just kiss him once, but he kissed him again and again and again and again. And whenever I read that, whenever I think of that picture, I think about how this son thinks, I'm not worthy of this kiss. And, and I've, got to, I've got to confess to my father what I've done. I've got, to tell him, I've got to tell him what I've actually done. And every time he thinks about why he's not worthy, the father plants another kiss on his face. Every time I think, but, but I've done this, another kiss. But, I've, but you don't know, another kiss. I, I, I haven't lived, another kiss. And no matter how much he had done, there was softness left there. It wasn't just one kiss to say, hi, okay, it's fine, come home. But it was love. The love of the Father abounded. The grace of the Father was far greater than the sin of the Son. And that's the image that we have. And even though the Son just wants to come back and work to be a servant, the dad puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and throws a massive party. My son is home. That son did nothing to deserve it. But there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We see it in the woman that was caught in adultery, the adulterous woman. How this woman is brought before Jesus 
and according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned to death for what she had done. And Jesus stands there and, 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 and the, the Pharisees bring this woman before him and, and, and they actually challenge Jesus. It's a test. And they say, well, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned. And Jesus says, that's right. So those of you that have not sinned, you cast the first one. Go ahead, stone her. And all of a sudden, it says that they realized that they weren't righteous, that none of them had fulfilled the law completely. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. I love the fact that it's from the oldest to the youngest because the longer you've lived, the less confident you are in your own righteousness. The longer you've lived, the more you've failed and the more you've realized, I can't do that. And so I can imagine the oldest Pharisee going, yeah, I'm out, I've, I've done a lot of stuff and just drops his stone and walks away. The younger guy's like, I, I think I'm still kind of good. I think I can, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that the other day. And he drops his stone and he walks away. And while he's doing that, Jesus gets down and kneels in the ground and begins to, to write in the sand. He stands up and all the Pharisees, the law that was supposed to condemn this woman had departed. And Jesus says, has no one condemned you? He wants the woman to say it. He wants her to recognize that her salvation and the change of her life is gonna come in this understanding that there is no condemnation. He wants her to recognize the gift of no condemnation. So he asks her the question, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. No condemnation. And the only person who could have condemned her in that moment was Jesus himself. And he says, well, then neither do I. Neither do I. He says something so powerful. He says, therefore, go and sin no more. I hate it when the church mixes this up. It really makes me angry. There's a few things that make me angry. This really makes me angry. When people say that we go and sin no more and then there'll be no condemnation. You've already condemned yourself. Don't reverse the order. Don't put the cart before the horse. There is now no condemnation. Therefore, Go and sin no more. The freedom from sin comes after condemnation has been removed, not before. It's what sets us free to live for God. And so we see this Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation in the, the story of the adulterous woman. We see it in the, the prisoner, the guilty prisoner in the form of Barabbas. I used to read this passage in the Bible, the story of Barabbas, and it used to irritate me because I didn't know why it was there. I used to think to myself, isn't it enough that Jesus was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was spat upon, that he was uh, uh, condemned in every way? Isn't it enough that he was going to be nailed to a cross after carrying that cross up the hill by himself? Isn't it enough that the people turned their back on him, that those that were supposed to be with him deserted him and ran away from fear? Isn't it enough? Why does the Bible now also include this silly story about a man called Barabbas who uh, Pontius Pilate, in a desperate attempt to set Jesus free, knowing that he was free of guilt remembers that there is a tradition that the Roman government would release one prisoner to, to, the, to, the, to the Jews every single year and he uses this as an opportunity and he goes and he finds the dirtiest, dingiest, most guilty prisoner who committed murder in the insurrection in the rising up of the Jews against Rome. He committed murder. He brings a guilty murderer up before the crowd and on the other end he has Jesus who has not in his entire life committed a single sin. And so Pontius Pilate gives them the option. He says, who do you want me to set free? Barabbas or Jesus? And they all start crying out 
with one accord, Maribus, Maribus. And he's like, you guys got this wrong. He, we all know how guilty he is. And they just cry out all the more, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And why is this in the Bible? And Barabbas gets set free. And Pontius Pilate asks the question, so what will I do with Jesus? And they all shout out, crucify him. Crucify him. Barabbas, guilty, goes free. And it used to irritate me until I realized that I am Barabbas. That this is another picture of how I have been set free because Christ was crucified in my place. And all of a sudden, I, I read that passage and I, and, and I realized that even though I am guilty because Christ took my place on the cross, I get to go free. And not only that, I looked up what the, what the name Barabbas actually means and, 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 and in the, the, the original name would be Baraba. The word B-A-R, Bar, like Simon Bar-Jonah means the son of and Abba means father. So not only do we get to go free, not only are we no longer condemned, but we become sons and daughters of the Father, even though we could never have deserved it. This is the gift of no condemnation. I am Baraba. I am a son of the Father. Abba, Father. It's the beautiful picture of Romans 8 verse 1, that there is no condemnation because Christ was condemned on our behalf. We see it in the, the criminal the crucified criminal, the criminal on the cross, Jesus now hanging on the cross with two guilty people beside him, two criminals that are being crucified for their crimes. And one mocks Jesus, and, and this is a picture of how people often respond to God. One mocks, and, and, and even in his dying breath, uses what he has left to condemn another man that is condemned beside him, not knowing that that man is only there for his sake. But on the other hand, there's a man that looks over at him and goes, I know that I'm guilty. You know, when you see Jesus, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to pretend like you've got it all together. That's what the gift of no condemnation does. It tells you that you're okay, even when you're not okay. And so he's just honest in that moment, and he says, Lord, when you get to paradise, will you just remember me? He just doesn't want to disappear. He doesn't want to vanish from the earth like he never existed. He just wants someone whom he knows is righteous to remember him. And Jesus looks over at him and says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, even though you're being crucified completely guilty of your sins and you've just admitted it yourself, without you having the ability to get off of this cross and go and live a righteous life, without you being able to go and make up for all of your sins, without you being able to go and apologize to the people that you've hurt or that you've stolen from, without you being able to make right or do any single religious thing, you're gonna be saved on the basis of my grace alone. That's the declaration of the thief on the cross, the crucified criminal is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, your sin has been dealt with. You're dead to sin. Romans 7, you're released from the law. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see it in Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, with prostitutes and pimps. 
We see it with Jesus calling Lazarus down from the tree and inviting himself over to this chief tax collector, this thug, this gangster, uh, uh, to his house for lunch. We see it when Jesus overturns the tables in the temple where people are, are, are caused to pay and to perform to be made right with God. Jesus runs in and overturns the whole thing. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it says they brought the cripple and the lame that were hidden away because religion hides the brokenness in the, in the back rooms and in the alleys. And Jesus says, bring the brokenness, bring it out, bring it in front of me here. They are welcome, even though they are broken. They are welcome. And he begins to, to pray for them and there is healing that takes place. And the children run around. Sometimes I just, I love it when kids run around in church, not too much, but sometimes, um, especially when it's my kids. Um, but they run around in church because it is a picture of what we see in scripture where the kids begin to run around in the temple shouting, Hosanna. No condemnation. You don't have to pay. You don't have to perform. You just come to me. We see it in the expressions and letters of Paul and Peter, of John and Jude and Acts and Hebrews. There is no condemnation. And once you know this, once you truly believe this, you will find the power in Christ Jesus to live in a new way. Brand new life. Brand new walk with God. A brand new ability to relate to God and obey God that doesn't depend on the law or the letter of the law, but depends on a living relationship. Do you understand what this means? What kept you from being right with God and having a relationship with God was condemnation. You were guilty and therefore you were separated. But when the condemnation is taken away, there is no longer anything that stands between you and God. So you have entered into a living relationship with your creator. And sometimes because we don't trust that enough, we need to go back to the to-do lists. Okay, what should I do today? How about you allow God's spirit to move on the inside of you? How about you let the Holy Spirit speak to you every day? How about you seek him out in prayer and in worship and you hear from God for yourself? How about you begin to walk out all the things that we get to live in now um, in selfless ways because of the, the, the presence of God's grace in our lives? This is the vital lifeblood of salvation flowing through our veins as we find ourselves redeemed and reunited with Christ. As our condemnation fell on his shoulders, Jesus said, when he was praying, he said, let this cup, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And when God had strengthened him, when the angels had strengthened him, he went to the cross and he drank the cup of the wrath of God. He drank every last sip. He turned it over and he declared, it is finished. The wrath of God has been appeased. The requirement of the law has been fulfilled within us and his resurrection became our life. So this is what it means when it says the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, which was weakened by our flesh, could not do, sending his own son. So we don't, we don't walk in legalism or in sinfulness. Do you know that there are two ways? It says later on in that chapter that the flesh is hostile towards God. You know that you can be hostile towards God in two ways. The one is just by doing your traditional sins, which we, we can all label and we all kind of have these traditional ideas of what sin is. But the second way is by being very, very good and very, very religious. Do you know that your flesh will do anything to stay alive, including become very good? 
It will pray, it will go to church, it will worship as long as you don't crucify it and put it to death. And so you and we can be hostile towards God by seeking to establish our own righteousness like the Pharisees did rather than submitting to his righteousness as a free gift. I wanna end off today by just reading you Romans 8 verse 14 to 17. Listen to what it says. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. That's the new way of living. We are all led by the Spirit of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We were in fear, fear of our guilt and fear of condemnation and fear of the law. You have not now received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A deep cry on the inside of us connects with our Father now for the first time. What you have got when you got Jesus and when you put your faith in Him is not more fear, it's not more slavery, it's not more law, it's not more condemnation, but it's a deep cry in your heart that says, God, you are my Father. And I am your son. I am your daughter. I am accepted in your home. I am enveloped by your arms and by your love. I can boldly approach the throne of grace in my time of need. We received a brand new way of relating with God and it's through this deep understanding that we are now his children. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him no matter what we face. We are fellow heirs. And so we do not follow God through the law. We follow God in the newness of this adoption that we have all received. Come on, how many of you are grateful for that today? We have been adopted. We have been forgiven. We have been reunited with Christ. It's the entire message of the Bible. And it reminds us of what we have. I know I said it was my last scripture, but I lied. I've got one more. Um, I did that to give you hope. I took it away, but this is my last one, so it's back again. Okay, Titus 2, 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does the grace of God do in your life? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's what the grace of God will do in your life. Don't put the cart before the horse. You cannot live for God. You cannot know how to live in a godly way, in a holy way, in this ungodly age without understanding that there is no more condemnation, that there is nothing that separates you from God without being able to walk in this new way that Christ has provided through his blood on the cross. Amen? Hey, you're gonna hear me preach this message a gazillion times. You come here every Sunday, I'm gonna tell you the same thing. I'm I'm already surprised that some of you are coming back because you're gonna hear the same thing from me year in and year out is that it is all about Jesus. It is all about what he did on the cross and there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. That is the power that we have to live a changed life. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray to God.